chances. Oh, um, me and my board. Okay. <laughs> I had, um, I had an issue before the show started, and I messed up my board. Um, I got Julie and Lady Holder uh, playing tag on my board because I had to hit the head. You know, sometimes, you know, I'm at that age now, and if you're not um, seeing a chat, you can um, refresh because I didn't launch the chat when I was supposed to. Um, I, uh, because I had to pee. The, you see, here's the thing. When you get ladies, you don't know this if you're under, under, I don't know, maybe 35. But around, around 35, 40-ish, your body stops telling you in advance that you've got to pee. And sometimes you get like two, three minutes warning before you have to pee the worst you've ever had to pee in your whole life. You don't care. I'm telling you anyway because you're listening to my show. So that's what you got to put up with when you're listening to my show. Um... And so, um, yeah, like four minutes before the show started, I had to pee worse than I've ever had to pee in my whole life. So I had, um, <laughs> yeah, get out of the way, muggles. I have to go. I, uh, I pushed my husband out of the way like, like I was playing football. <laughs> Anyways, tonight's topic um is from Jilly and uh she she asks, um, I'm curious about stories where you've written that you've written in episode format. How does that differ from say a series of novellas or short stories? Do you plan things differently for an episode versus a short story? If so, in what way? Okay. So there's actually a big huge difference for me in my process and every process is different. So just as a rule of thumb, when I'm talking about my writing process, don't assume that's the only way to do it or what you're doing is wrong. This is just the way I do it, and I've been doing this way this for a very long time, and so I'm kind of set in my ways, and I don't like to approach things from <clears throat> with new methods because uh, you as a writer, once you get comfortable with a method, you keep that method uh, for uh, just just as long as that method works for you. So if my method stopped working for me, I would explore different ways to do things and, and find a new way that did work for me. When it comes to short stories, everything I want to say has to be in that short story. There can't be anything left out. I have to make it a, a concise um, moment in my character's life, and it has to be complete when it's done. And even if I leave myself room for a sequel, it has to be complete. Now, when it comes to the episode format that I'm using for Sentinels of Atlantis or Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond, um, it's building. I'm building a story, and each episode is a block in my building and my foundation episode which is the first one you learn a whole lot about what has happened to Harry since his parents were killed and it's important to establish your main character and give them a really strong foundation on which you're going to build the rest of your story which is a lot of times why my first episode is bigger or denser 
than other parts of episodes. Like, for instance, in Sentinels of Atlantis, The Gathering, which is the first episode of Sentinels of Atlantis, is 30K. Some of the other episodes were... Um, they range from 5 to 10K all the way through to the end. And my last episode, which is basically my two-part season finale of Sentinels of Atlantis, is 50K. So you see, I kind of... Um, the Sentinels of Atlantis has... Each, short, um, each episode has a plot. But there is also a season plot. And then there is a series plot where I have five seasons plotted. So each episode builds a season and each season builds a series. So my goal when I'm creating um, an episode type format is to tell you short, concise stories that build and build and build and build until I have my big complete season and I've given you essentially a really big story that's part of a bigger story. Now when it comes to a novella format, I like them to stand on their own as much as possible. So like for what might have been, it was written in novella format and that first one, I... When I wrote it, I never intended on writing a sequel. And so <clears throat> doing that uh, opened up the series that would eventually become what might have been. And um, so uh, I knew going into it that I couldn't approach it like I would say if I was going to write an episodic series like Sentinels of Atlantis or Harry Potter, um, which also has five seasons. I'm... I'm a creature of habit. Uh, <laughs> I tend to work in threes and fives. Uh, it's just, it's a thing that I do. Um, <clears throat> so what happens when you're building a series is you have to decide really early on how you're going to approach it. Because there are things that came out in the first um, novella of what might have been that I would not have revealed that early on if I'd known it was going to be a series or if I'd have wanted to treat it like episodes. Because if, if I'd have wanted to treat it like an episode, that whole thing with Peter in Antarctica would have would have spread out over four or five episodes rather than just be confined to that one novella and then you never hear about him again. Whereas, like, you know, for instance, the whole arc of them finding out what Sentinels and Guides really are in Sentinels of Atlantis, you learn bits and pieces throughout the first half of Season 1 on Sentinels of Atlantis. You don't learn it all at once, like you would in a novella. So part of what you're doing when you're building an episode series is creating arcs that you can um, follow from one story to another in a very rhythmic and concise way because you don't want to lose track of your details, not only for yourself but for your reader. So if you get too far ahead without addressing the issues that you've already brought up, you're, you're going to develop plot holes whether you mean to or not. One of, the big, one of the biggest plot holes in Sentinels of Atlantis is Miko. Now, when I was constructing Sentinels of Atlantis, I literally forgot that Miko was a gene carrier. I forgot. And neither one of my beta readers 
I'm looking at you girls. Noticed that I forgot. It happens. Even with a group of people, you know, who are very invested in a series like we all three are, we all missed it. And when I realized what I had done, I, I was counting characters, and I, I, I'd made a character sheet, and I was moving through my characters, and I was listing all the gene characters that I knew from canon, and, and how this would impact them. And I was trying to decide if Jonas had a, an ancient gene, and I decided that he probably did, just for my own benefit more than anybody else's. And then I realized, as I was looking at that list, that I had written Miko down as a gene carrier on my list, but she had never been mentioned as a potential sentinel or guide in Sentinels of Atlantis, which is where the episode The Queen came from. It was not originally plotted, but I pushed back another episode and I pulled something out. And I made room for the queen, which I think actually turned out to be my most, um, the most powerful episode of season one. Because I had not spent any time on Miko, so bringing her into the picture required a lot of work in, in that episode. And, you know, defining her, because she hadn't really had any screen time. I mean, she a little bit, maybe, maybe a little bit here and there, but nothing extreme. Nothing to define her so that you cared about her within the realm of the series. And I think that when you go back through your work, that a lot of times... You, you'll see things that you missed and you'll see things that other people missed in their stories. Like Lady Holder just told me in the chat, the chat room that I wasn't the only one who missed things or who realized things. We, you, a lot of times when you're building an episode series like Sentinels of Atlantis, you start to, uh, your focus narrows you know, on the characters that you're exploring. And then when you open yourself back up to the rest of the world that you're you know, that you're writing in, you might realize that you've overlooked somebody like Miko. Because it just, I just literally forgot she was a gene carrier. And, and it created this huge plot hole for me. And I plugged it in with the queen. And like I said, I, I think that because that was inserted later in my head and plotted separately from the rest of the season, that it stands out. And thank you, um, Lady Holler said in the chat room that it worked well. It it does work well, but when I was writing, I was like, "Oh God, this is totally off the rhythm of the sh of the of the whole series. It doesn't fit. It's 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 weird." And then when I was finished, yes, it does stand out, and it is different from all the other episodes in Sentinels of Atlantis. But I think it brings a um, a sense of urgency and humanity to the series that was missing that I didn't even know was missing um, until I wrote The Queen. And, you know, I tried to make um, her reasons for hiding realistic and um, interesting and, uh, you know, but one of the biggest problems I had was addressing why no one else brought up that she was a gene carrier yet 
she wasn't showing these genetics that Keller was expecting to find. So I had to put some duplicity in there and um, imply that there were some conversations that took place in the background. Um, and so it's just there, there's lots of things that, that happen in the Queen. And I introduced Ian Wilkes because Ian Wilkes was supposed to be introduced in another episode that I removed, which is why it's I put him in the Queen because I had room there and it made sense for him to show up there. So it just, when you're plotting, um, and I do think that it's very difficult to write an episode format series without plotting. I would not want to try to pants that because over and over again, you're going to make mistakes because especially something as big as Sentinels of Atlantis is, if you're going to get that big, if if, if you're going to write a 20 or 30 episode story, um, you need to make a plan because if you don't, I, even as big as my plan was, I still had this big, huge honking plot hole right in the middle of it. So I couldn't imagine how bad it would have been if I had not planned what was going to happen in seasons one through five. And not introducing Ian when I was supposed to was also has the potential to be a plot hole because of his future role in the series. So he had to be introduced, but I had removed the episode where he was central because I didn't think it fit. And um, I hadn't written that episode. It was just plotted. So inserting the queen and, and moving him into place allowed me to shore up some holes that I had created in my plot. And I just don't see how I could have possibly have managed it um, with uh, without planning. So um, while I think that writing in novella format would be easier to pants when it comes to a series work, because Ties That Bind um, is also heavily plotted, but it's a novella series. Novel on novel, depending on your definitions of those two words. I, um, but speaking of which, I had the North Star open this evening and I was playing with it, and um, I got distracted by writing the porn, which is why the show got, um, got thrown up at the last second. That's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. So, but, um, Essentially, your plot tools remain the same. You have your character profiles. You have your external motivations. You have your internal motivations. You have your character assessments. You you have your structure, your beginning, your middle, and your end. But how you use these tools changes with your format. I wrote this awesome scene for the North Star where there's an intruder in the house and John hears it, hears him, hears them, and he comes out of the bedroom and whips over the um, railing and jumps to the first floor butt naked. I, I, it just, it happened. I'm not ashamed. No, I'm not sorry. Butt naked. Boom. I... I'm over here just got this big old grin on my face. I can't even help myself. I'm just really pleased with this scene. I can't wait for you guys to read it. Sometimes when you write something like that, you're going, oh, God, they're going to love this. This is great. I love it. He's naked. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) So you never know um, when you're writing if something's going to strike you funny or amazing or 
terrible or you know it's it's always a surprise but um writing in episode format versus writing a novella or writing a novel while you use the same tools you do use these tools differently and Sometimes you won't need as much as you would say you don't need as much plot or as much work for a short story as you do a novel. But I will tell you this, writing a short story is 10,000 times more difficult than writing a novel. And anybody who says differently is crazy. They're just crazy. Let me rephrase that. Writing a good, an excellently crafted short story is more difficult than writing a novel. You can write something and call it a short story, but it might not meet that burden. Um, I plot everything. I put a lot more effort into plotting a novel because I'll have more characters and more events and more research to do than I would a short story. A lot of times a short story might have one or two characters versus 15 or 20 because, you know, I'm I'm looking at my, am, am I going to be somebody behind the bar? Do I need to know their name? You know, just all these things that are going to happen in the story. Is this important? I know what this person looks like, you know, and <clears throat> just move your way through your plot. But when it comes to short stories, while I might not invest as much time into character development, the plot has to be so tight in a short story. It has to be concise, and it has to be complete and satisfying. And so a lot of times, I'll encounter works that have been labeled a short story, and I think to myself, nope, that's a chapter in a bigger book. What is wrong with you? Where's the rest of this book? And it's really annoying to read something like that and you see the mistakes that got made. And because I'm not someone who offers offers unsolicited advice to a writer, I don't point it out to them. I just have to walk away from it. Just walk away, Kira. Just walk away. <laughs> but I... um really annoying so uh really invest yourself in the creation of a short story which is part of what that short story ch- challenge is, is we, we did over the summer was teaching um word economics and um removing the vanity from your work because i think that um sometimes pantsing can be an incredible vanity and i have been known to do it i um there's a reason why Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond is as big as it is. It could have been a 100K novel. It's not because I'm vain. I I acknowledge this. Sometimes like I'll have like four plot points for an episode that might, if I'm really tight and I don't play around and don't fuck around, it'll be 10K. Next thing I know, I busted out 20K and I don't care. It's a little vain, a little bloated, but it was fun. I plotted uh, two plot points for the final episode of Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond, which I'm currently calling Fate's Hand. It's had like 15 titles. I'm not even lying about that. It's actually had 15 titles so far. And I'm still not particularly happy with the title that it's got. Anyway, I had two plot points that I needed to cover for the um, season finale and so that I could prep for the next season, episode one, season two, episode one. And um, it was... Maybe going to be 10K. I'm currently at 14K and I haven't even touched plot point two. I, 
I, I, I got nothing. It's just, it's a thing. It's a thing, you know. So, um, I acknowledge that I do do some pantsing, and I do consider it a vanity for myself because um, I am a plotter by nature. So, when I let myself indulge that way and step outside my plan, it's definitely um, a vanity for me. Some writers are naturally a pantser. They don't plot. They rarely develop character profiles. And I don't know how you function I don't know how you work. I don't know what your brain does. But you know what? I have less questions about how your brain works than I do a non-writer. I don't know what my husband does with his brain when he's not speaking. Or playing a game. Or glaring at a football game. I don't know I don't know what he does with his head when he's driving, when he's shopping. What do you what do you non writers do with your brains when you're not using them for a task? Because when my brain is not engaged with a task, my brain is writing. I write whole books in my head. I don't know what you people who don't write do with your brain. It bothers me a lot. I fill my brain up every day with characters and stories. I tell myself stories on the way to the grocery store, when I'm in the grocery store, unless I'm bitching the lady holder on my phone. I just invest a lot of time in creating things in my brain. And so I don't understand what non-writers do with their brains. I I really don't. And my husband tried to explain it to me, but it might as well have been a foreign language. I don't, um, I don't understand. Actively worry, that's what somebody said in their, um, actively worry. I got 99 problems and 98 of them are imagined. Is that what you mean? Because I have a cousin who does that. She, like, uh, creates end-of-the-world scenarios basically in her brain where she's a star, which I think is create. It's creative, but um, it's not necessarily something I'd want to do with my brain. Um, I'd rather not die repeatedly in my own head. <laughs> so it's just really interesting. I don't know what you do with your brain. And even when you tell me what you do with your brain, it doesn't make any sense. Because I'm thinking, what, how, how much can you think about balancing your checkbook? It can't take that long. No, really. It can't take that long. I don't even know. You're 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 awake a lot. <laughs> you sleep six, seven hours, maybe eight. The rest of those hours, those minutes, you're awake. Your brain's doing something. What is your brain doing? Oh my god. Oh my god. It kills me. I don't understand. That I do understand. Azure says, when I'm not doing a task or mentally writing, I'm usually thinking about sex. That, <laughs> that I understand. I totally get that. Other stuff, not so much. But back to um, episode and serials. Since this is Jilly's question, I'm going to let Jilly um, get on the air and uh, see if she has any follow-up questions for me. I hope she does because I'm like currently totally out of things to say. You didn't realize it's the wrong person, right? No. <laughs> Other person. 
I got Lady Holder. Remember, we're flipped. We're flipped. <laughs> yes, it's the same numbers. Different combo. <laughs> I have that thing, that math thing I told you. I fuck it up every time. Uh, anyway. It's okay. I'll still laugh at you. Oh, okay. See how she treats me? <laughs> She's so mean. She's so mean to me. Okay. There you are, right? But you know you do. <laughs> well... Look at her putting an E on that like she's British. <laughs> she spelled bullshit with an E um, for those of you in the, in the podcast. Um, so this was your question. Did I answer your question? You did. Um, I I uh, I'm sort of mulling the things. Yeah, I started. Um, I kind of don't want to get into another long epic. Um, mm-hmm. And. I mean, eventually I will. I'm not, like, turned off of epics or anything like that. But they are long endeavors when you're putting out a 200K story or something like that. You know, that takes right. a long time to do. And um, I uh, so I started on this new project, and it's like one of those ripple effect stories. Um, like, change one thing and see how it changes, but it covers many years of the NCIS series. And I thought, well, I don't want to do an epic because that's just going to drag on and on and on and on and on. And I don't know that I want to try to break this up into complete, um, discrete stories because I don't feel like there's complete, discrete blocks where, you know, when you're like, because it's it's sort of like the end of the end of a season might be a discrete block, but that still could be an epic. Um, so then I got to thinking about the whole notion about episodes, and I wasn't quite certain how to approach that about what, what was different about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I, I, I've got some good ideas. I just I'm trying to think about because I I like the idea of because I'm doing a lot more. Um, I was sort of always been sort of a middle of the road person between the panting and the plotting. I mean mm-hmm. I can I pants the 300k story from start to finish once. So congratulations. Um, I would but be writing it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's, it's a lot of dancing. I don't stop. Yeah, the problem is, is you have to. Uh, it's a lot of work because you have to take careful notes while you're doing it. Otherwise, it's constant rereading and re going back and researching, and going, "What did I say? What did I say? What did I say?" Um, so, um, yeah. So I can I I can pants. And you know, I could pants a million words, I'm sure, but I don't want to be doing that. So I'm sort of a, kind of a middle of the road person, where I kind of have a, a, a more of an outline than a complete plot. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of I have an I I know what scenes that need to happen, mm-hmm. and what order those scenes need to happen in. But what happens around that stuff is all very squishy. So, and then I just kind of feel my way through it. So your idea. Your um, your idea is what it's too big basically for a novel. Yeah, so I don't mind telling you the idea. So the idea, so I had a, I had like a the idea of like you know change one thing and see what happens. And I had this notion because I you know every I think every NCIS writer has this moment where they have to write a hiatus fix it fic. You know, it's just <laughs> sort of like you have that requisite fic you have to do it. So eventually you get to this. This is mine. And I had this idea of what happened if um, Rene Benoit um, 
was killed in an arms deal shortly after um, Gibbs went on his hiatus. And Jenny Shepard finds out about it through intelligence briefings. And, like, her major focus of her directorship is suddenly gone, mm-hmm. which was revenge. And so I have her, you know, she takes a couple. So this stuff is all alluded to because the story actually takes place in Tony's point of view. Um so she takes a couple weeks off to get her head on straight, and then she starts paying attention to her agency. And so the 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 premise is what would happen if you actually had a, the director actually focusing on her agency in season four as opposed to. And so my idea is that she sees Tony set up to fail. And so she asks him a pivotal question. She comes up with several options for him on the career path thing, and he's hesitant about taking any of them. And she says, you know, I are you an NCIS agent here to solve crimes and get justice for victims' family first, or are you Gibbs second in command first? Which are you? And it brings him up short because he had been acting like he was, you know, Gibbs loyal St. Bernard more than a cop. And so he um, makes the decision that he wants to be... um, he wants to be an investigator, that he wants to be an NCIS agent. That's his goal. That's what his primary purpose is. And then follow through about what that changed. So he transfers and takes over a new team and, and then what his career. And so the premise of the series is what is happens to his career and how and things for him change throughout the show with him being gone and working in, more in parallel and even outside of D.C. and whatnot. So I have this whole progression of his career and whatnot. Um but I just wasn't certain. I was had this moment of like I went, well, how do I approach this logistically? Because this could get to be four or five hundred k before it's done, and I don't, you know, that just feels, you know, it's, sometimes you just don't want to approach something you know is going to be that long. Well, yeah, um, I expect Harry Potter and Smite Bond to be at least half a million words. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, actually, probably no. That's not even true. I expect to. Probably about a million words. But anyway, I'm being over here being conservative about it. What I would say is this. Um, when I plotted Sentinels of Atlantis, I plotted it um, in in an event-based plot. All of Sentinels of Atlantis is based on a series of events. And for me, an episode is one event. And the exploration of that event. So the event in the gathering is John comes to the mountain. That's the event. This is what happens because John came to Cheyenne Mountain when he did. So each episode in Sentinels of Atlantis is um, centered around a single event and what splinters from that event as consequences. So event and consequence. And that's basically how Stargate Atlantis itself is structured. You have the event, and then you have reactions and responses to the event um, throughout the whole episode. It's kind of like a ser- like a cop procedural. There's a murder. This is the consequences of those murders. That's the event. The murder is the event. And then everything else in response to that is the filler content of the episode. So that really, what you just said there, really snapped my brain into focus about the whole thing. Well, good. Yay. About the single event um, mm-hmm. being the focus of the each episode. 
it made it easier to, to plot um, because it also made it easier to title. But <laughs> if you look at Sentinels of Atlantis, each title is is um, is a reference directly to the event that takes place. Like the Sentinel when Bates comes online, when he has a spiral episode and comes online. You know, it's just like I just okay, these are the events that are going to take place, these are the titles, let, let's go, boom. And so, but a novella can have a series of events, but I try to to restrict myself um, outside of my opening and my ending for season one to one event, like I was structuring an hour of TV. I'm not saying I was always successful, but that was my goal going into each episode. Because you never know, you know, when you're writing what's going to happen, you know, how things are going to expand. But if you give yourself a structure, even if you do go a little bit off the rails with your event and your consequences, you still end up with um, a concise episode that you can um, tuck into your wall and then go to your next one. Hmm. But I don't, okay. I don't know how my readers um, actually feel about the episode format because um, I've never asked them. <laughs> And, no, you don't count. You're my beta. <laughs> well, I like them. Since I'm here and I can say I like them, I like them a lot, actually. Um, and, and the thing is, I hadn't been able to articulate what was. I knew something was different about them, but I didn't put. I didn't like put a lot of you know mental cycles into figuring out how is this different from a short story. Mm-hmm. Um, which is what I. You know, I think it was yesterday, or the day before. I was going, I know she's talked about these episodes somewhere, but I don't remember if she talked about her construction process with them. And so then I went hunting and I, you know, I didn't, I didn't really find anything. And I thought, yeah, I need to ask this question because uh, I, and the reason I wanted to ask the question is because I do like it. I think it makes a lot of sense, but I wasn't, I, that, that critical piece I wasn't getting was the singular event. I think you have to structure yourself with a single event because if you give yourself too much room, you've not made an episode, you've made a novella. And um, so that's why some of the episodes of Sentinels of Atlantis are 5K and then 10K. And then I busted out 50K in the season finale, which I like to call my two-parter. <laughs> which is actually more like five parts if I did it by what it should look like as far as the rest of the episodes are concerned because there were so many parts coming together. But... Um, I think that if you restrict yourself to the one event through most of your season, that you can give yourself a little bit of room on the beginning to build your foundation, and then at the end to kind of round out the plot so that your season is um, so that your season itself has a beginning, a middle, and an end. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that you round off the edges so nothing's rough going into your second season. And your first season can be 10 episodes, or it can be 20, or it can be 30. Um, I think, I don't even know how many episodes Sentinels of Atlantis is. I think it's 30. I know that um, Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bomb is going to be 30. But you need to just make that decision and then figure out what needs to happen in the middle of your season to construct your beginning, middle, and end for your entire season arc. You know, so that it makes... um, so that it makes sense to you overall. I think one of the best examples of this on TV is Babylon 5. Yeah. Babylon 5 tells you a story, and it takes place over five seasons, which is probably where my five seasons come from, to be perfectly honest. And each episode builds, 
and each season is like a novel. And then all the novels come together and they tell you this big epic story that is breathtaking. So if SOA is 20 episodes. There you go. Um, So if you have not seen Babylon 5, I completely and totally recommend it. Just for the construction alone. I mean, just the, the, the... huge endeavor of constructing this and um, telling the story where you get payoff in episode 50 from episode 1. You know, it's just like, this. it's it's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. Um, we had in, in X-Files, they had a little bit, it wasn't, I don't think it was as well planned as, as, uh, as um, Babylon 5 was, but, you know, we would, uh, we we would, you know, my friend always would see it ahead of me, and I would ask her, "Is it a monster of the week episode or a myth arc episode?" Because the myth arc episodes were very important because mm-hmm. they were building that mythology for the entire run of the season series, rather. And um, and whereas the monster of the week episodes were kind of, you know, it didn't really almost didn't matter when they occurred; um, they were kind of interchangeable. You, you didn't really need to show history to understand what was going on with them. Right. Um, so I kind of mentally have like at least one episode plotted out that I'm actually have dubbed my monster of the week tribute to monster of the week. So I think um, one thing is important about Babylon Five is I don't think there's a single episode you could afford to miss. Sometimes you only get like one detail you need out of that episode, but if you don't have it, five episodes down the road you're gonna be like, what the fuck is what 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 Michael? What are what you doing? What did I miss? What happened? What happened, Michael? What happened? You have to go back. Remember when you were on vacation? (laughs) (laughs) Shit went down and you missed it. (laughs) Yeah, most shows aren't like that where they build to that degree. Yeah. Most most shows, especially the procedurals, most episodes are not critical. Um, (laughs) And the episodes that are really critical tend to be the ones that people focus a lot on in fan fiction because that's when the critical stuff went down and right. often in ways we don't like. And so we're running around fixing shit. No, I agree. I, I totally agree. I think one of the most pivotal episodes of Stargate Atlantis um, is uh, Trinity. Is that the Duranda episode? Yeah, it is. And yeah. it really altered how I felt about Elizabeth permanently. Mm-hmm. Every time I plot something for I, this is just there's just some things I dislike so much that I want to undo them. And every time I plot a because I have probably five I don't I don't I don't remember ten of SGA but I have more story ideas plotted out than I than I've written. And they all, every single one of them, the one thing they all have in common is undoing that undoing that episode. Oh, God, it kills me. Have you ever read St- Sandstorms? No. Oh, God. When you have about 48 hours of your life to spare, and I'm telling you you need 48 hours because you need time to recover. Sit down and read Sandstorms. I'm Sandstorms. Um... <laughs> Lady Holder hates it, but it is actually one of the most fascinating um, responses to Trinity that exists in the Stargate fandom. Um, there are consequences. 
oh, God, it will tear your heart out over and over and over again, and you won't want to stop. It's it's amazing um, and easily the best response divinity in the Stargate fandom, as far as I'm concerned. I highly recommend that you read Sandstorms by Mithril, 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 Mithrion. I think yeah. I found it. Mithrion, is that it? Yeah, if, if you'll give me a link, I'll put it in the podcast for the, those of you, for those who are I'm, listening on. Don't space. click on it. Don't don't click on it, Lady Holder. Just just look away. Look away. <laughs> yes, this is it. This is it. Stand strong. Save yourself. Just look away, baby. Look away. Anyways, um, I highly recommend it for those of you who um had a very visceral response to Trinity because it is amazing. Um, but don't read it when you have something else you've got to do. Because you won't want to leave it, and you need to give yourself a day to recover after watching it. I, I'm, I'm watching it after um, after reading it because it will tear your heart out. It is uh, only forty six thousand words, but when you get done, you'll feel like you read four hundred. Hmm. So is it also like being a good place mentally too when you start? Because you won't be when yes. you finish. <laughs> yes. 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 Because. Um, Oh God, just God, just no, really, it's amazing. But don't read it unless you've got time and, and you have time to recover afterwards. Because on a scale of one to freedom, I'm gonna give it a freedom plus two. Mm. And, and when I say freedom, I mean freedom is another word for, for nothing left to lose, which is the best story in the Stargate fandom, um, which will tear your heart out. Uh, to the very that one I have end. read it, it it did, yeah. You know what gets me? It's it's the line where Rodney said, "I knew you wouldn't live to be an old man." Yeah. Oh God! You know when you <laughs> that's when you realize that McKay went into that relationship knowing he would end up alone, and it's just like the most devastating thing that I've ever read. And I cry. I mean, I got tears just thinking about it. It's like, oh, God, what a sacrifice to make for love. As How soon much as you did said the line, God? my eyes started to mist up, and I was like, shit, this is why I don't reread that story. <laughs> right? Because it's this, ugly cry. This, is, this is the moment when you find out just how much Rodney loved John. That he was He loved him so much that he... went into it knowing how much grief he would suffer and did it anyway. Sandstorm, on the other hand, will rip your heart right out of your body beating and just hold it in its hand. Just We're down to 90 seconds. Um, just remember when you're plotting your um, episodes to give yourself one event per episode and then focus on consequences of that event. And when you're plotting, you might just want to number how many um, episodes you've got and then write an event for each episode. And then after that, go back and plot your episodes individually. I think it will give you um, a good structure to follow. And it will um, also it will allow you to inject events if you have to. Like with the Queen, when I had to put Miko in it, out of the blue. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, 
you guys have a great week, and I will talk to you later. Thank you. Thank you.